Hello, everybody. Today is another Sunday, June 25th, and this is a week 26 up, the update, a legal update in the historic lawsuit targeted justice v. Garland. And as every week uh, with me today, as every Sunday, my co-pilot, a legal genius, a genuinely nice person you'll ever meet, Anna Toledo Esquire. Welcome to the show, Anna. Good morning. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Derek. Thank you for having me and thank you for your kind words. Oh, you're, you're Ready to report. You'll be here every Sunday, I, I, I have a feeling. And our special guest today is someone who is well-known and loved by our community, whose dedication to our cause cannot be underestimated. The founder of Pacts International, Derek Robinson. Welcome to the Sunday show, Derek. Good morning, Len. Good morning, good morning Anna. Thank you guys uh, for having me here today. It's a pleasure to be here. It really, it really is a pleasure. Um, we have been having so much good feedback uh, about uh, our Sunday shows. And uh, I think that uh, we should start naming our weekly updates uh, just beyond the week numbers. Uh, for example, last week, uh, we had a special guest, James Martinez, one of MK Alter whistleblowers. Uh, and the show received high marks from you, our users, viewers, both targeted and not or as we call it, Americans. If I were to name last week's show, I would think about what stood out to me the most. I think it was the lack of individual responsibility. And let me explain what I mean by that. It's the idea that although the Congress officially shut down MKUltra and COINTELPRO, it continued in some repackaged form up to this day because none of the government operatives were punished personally. So how is that that after re revealing what we consider the most scandalous, inconceivably inhumane program in, his, in the history of our country, that were no legal cons consequences for the people implementing, uh, in implementing it at all the highest level of the government? That's why I would uh, call that past show, um, last week's show, uh, the um, um, personal responsibility. Um, and I think that um, um, since, we're, uh, since we're starting uh, uh, naming the shows, uh, I will, at the end, I will ask both Anna and Derek uh, what stood out to them the most today. Uh, and as well, you'll get to hear from me. Uh, and you, our viewers, please tell us in the comment section if you agree or disagree. Let's make it interesting. So we'll, with that in mind, let's take a look at this week's revelations. Anna, please take it away. Um, yeah, well, contrary to last week that I had, we didn't have any filings, this week I have three filings. One of them is the most important one, which is the opposition to individual capacity defendants motion to dismiss. And they, I also filed yesterday and the position to the extension of time that they filed to reply to my reply and a motion uh, requesting judicial notice of what entails the state secret uh, privilege. And I'm gonna explain that 
um, in a little while, but I'll summarize, um, I'll summarize about each one uh, as, um, you know, in, not, in non-legal terms as possible. Uh, the opposition to the motion to dismiss, I'm, I'm gonna explain um, the Bivens, uh, the, the main defendants, you know, the public officials that were brought in in their official capacity and in their individual capacity, they were brought in in their individual capacity under this case, as I mentioned, called Bivens, which is the federal equivalent of the Civil Rights Act, but it only applies, the Supreme Court has um, stated that it's uh, an implied cause of action deriving from the Constitution, and they have only applied it in the context of the Fourth Amendment, which is the uh, unreasonable searches and seizures, uh, the Fifth Amendment, and the Eighth Amendment, which is the uh, cruel prohibition against cruel and unusual punishments. You, know, do you, you read the motions. Do you have an assessment regarding what you read? Then. Oh, yes, I have plenty of questions. One of them was actually against uh, uh, about Bivens claims because we, we people who are not so legally inclined, we're not really familiar with the term. Uh, so I was trying to uh, summarize it, it, it in plain English. And, um, and I was going to ask you if uh, I got the meaning correctly. Uh, so first of all, when you refer to Bivens, uh, you're referencing an actual 1971 Supreme Court case, Bivens uh, versus six unknown federal narcotics agents. And the case, you're right, is about the Fourth Amendment, uh, specifically protection from unnecessary, unnecessary search and seizure. And yet, despite the importance of this right, there's no federal statute authorizing judicial remedy for those whose Fourth Amendment rights were violated and to punish those who violate this fundamental right. So to summarize, Bevens means Fourth Amendment protection. Later, it was also applied to other amendments. Did I get it right, Anna? Well, yeah, sort of. Bevens is the federal equivalent to the Civil Rights Act. The Civil Rights Act applies to state officials acting under color of state law and violating people's civil rights. All of, all, all, all of them that derive from statutes or the constitution. The Supreme Court, you very well said, Congress has not authorized a specific um, you know, statute contemplating damages to people whose by federal officials have been violated like this. So the Supreme Court has uh, been very careful since Bivens, they've only expanded Bivens, you know, they call it new context to the Fifth and Eighth Amendments. And, and, the, and the court has been very cautious saying that courts should not freely expand the meaning of Bivens. And that's what defendants in our case are saying. No, no, you're, you're asking for the court to expand it to um, never before contemplated um, uh, remedies under Bivens. Now, the first thing we have to agree upon is that this case presents issues that have never before, not only not being before courts, but also never imagined. Because who would have imagined that the most important law enforcement agency in the nation and the largest in the world um, would 
would select innocent civilians to illegally place them in a terrorist database for purposes other than what the database was con you know, created for. Uh, so we are asking the court, first of all, yes, some of the claims that uh, plaintiffs ha have are within the Bivens definition that already the court uh, within the Fourth Amendment, for example, you know, everything that is an unreasonable search and seizure is included in there. Um, plaintiffs have had their houses and their property illegally searched and seized, uh, their stuff stolen, their uh, electronic communications hacked. Uh, so that all of that is within the purview of the Fourth Amendment. And, uh, and we, you know, delineate a, how, you know, the court should go into that. A, there, there's also the question, we reply to the question of standing. They sort of um, a, talked about how, you know, the fantastical allegations, now they added a new word, bizarre. And uh, so we replied to that saying, you know, the Supreme Court already stated that having being, being labeled as a terrorist or a suspected terrorist and that information published to third parties causes uh, inherent damages. We know that it is the dissemination to tens of thousands of law enforcement and private corporations and individuals of this information that causes irreparable harm to plaintiffs, TJ members and others situated like them every day. So this, that is why, uh, you know, we, we urge the court, uh, especially to deny the extension of time that they asked to reply to my motion, because every day, uh, hundreds of thousands of people in the United States are suffering a irreparable harm. So that's, that's basically, you know, the Bivens, uh, I, we also replied to um, the national security allegations that this um, this uh, case might present national security issues. Now, um, I, you know, I never stopped uh, reading, uh, even though I had submitted my motion, it came to my hands, um, a memorandum regarding national security. Um, and the truth is that it doesn't apply in this case, because uh, the United States Supreme Court has says that the only time, the only uh, circumstances where national security is relevant or is involved is when there's military secrets. And uh, that's clearly not the case here. The case is called U.S. versus Reynolds. That's one of the motions that we asked yesterday the court to take judicial notice of uh, that case. And also because when you when a party is supposed to uh, is invoking the national security uh, defense, uh, they're supposed to do it under a, a, a precept called a state secret, and that has a list of requirements that the defendants didn't comply with here either. So I I'm not gonna you know just bore you with the technicality of it. I just want to tell you that if one week ago, I was very confident that we were gonna be free in 2023, this week I'm even more confident because uh, the law and the 
uh, you know, policies are in place to, to uh, you know, support our position. Uh, I want to play a clip I sent you. Um, Sounds to me as if the reverse is happening. They're generating the response because of a political need to make that quote-unquote threat the biggest. Is that, a, is that a good summary, Mr. Friend? Yes, it's the self-licking ice cream cone. They come up with a solution and look for a problem to apply it to, and uh, they personally benefit from that in the amount of thirty to $50,000 when you get to the senior executive level. That is heavily based on uh, compensation is based on incentives. I, I don't have anything else to say because uh, the motion is 30 pages and if I go into it, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. Uh, I, do, I do want to say that uh, today I am so much more confident than I was three days ago uh, that, that we will accomplish our goal without losing sight of uh, targeted justice newsletter, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that we are very clear that this, this it, it, regardless of what happens here, whether we prevail or not completely or partially, whatever, it, we, we know the government will seek, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, an appeal or, 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 or plaintiffs will for whatever part they're not satisfied with. And, and we will get probably to the Supreme Court uh, because um, we're never gonna give up. Now, the government should you know, reassess if they, if they were caught, if, they, if the cat is out of the bag, I think it's time for uh, atonement. I think it's time for reparations and for apologies. And, uh, and that's, and that's uh, what should happen because there's no turning back. The information is out. And, and there's there's no concealing this atrocious, um, horrible event of, of American history. There's no hiding it. it. This is a Holocaust. This is the equivalent of our German Holocaust. Anna, thank you very much for that uh, explanation. I, I totally agree that this is as, as close to a Holocaust as it gets. Um, and I have uh, relatives who died in a Holocaust. And I have relatives who survived the Holocaust. And I don't think a lot of Americans understand what targeted individuals uh, go through, the torture, the pain and the, and the disappointment in your own government. But we will educate you. Uh, I do have several questions for you. Uh, first of all, um, I'm trying to to make this uh, um, legal case more acceptable. So for example, um, and I think we're getting a great lesson from you, Anna, in the judicial system and the constitutional rights. And, and, but sometimes it just gets very overwhelming, hard to digest. And I'm trying to simplify the terminology used whenever is possible. For example, uh, when you say when you say individual capacity defendants, it sounds quite abstract. So I call it Garland and the gang. What do you think about that, Anna? Can I use that term? Well, you're certainly free to use it because it's your First Amendment right. 
Uh, I attorneys, we have our, our First Amendment right is a little curtailed by uh, our uh, rules of ethics, but I can tell you this much. Here's the difference. Official capacity means that we're going against their uh, actions, you know, in, in their official capacity and the basically the government is liable for their official capacity actions, okay? If there's a judgment for their actions and their official capacity is the government. Individual capacity means that it would be, they're personally liable. We're, we're asking to make them personally liable. They, they have a vested interest in the case because if the government didn't have money to pay, well, we can go against their assets, their personal assets. Um, and that's what it means. It means that it also one, one, one very important aspect that they let it raise was qualified immunity. Well, it, it is our argument. Qualified immunity does not apply when you are clearly violating an established law or precept of law. It, there, it is clearly established that you cannot put a non-terrorist in a terrorist database, first of all. Homeland Security Presidential Directive number six, which created the list, doesn't contemplate it. It's also a violation of the Privacy Act to be uh, placing people there falsely and disseminating that information. There's just a lot of, uh, you know, a, a violations that I can think of. So yeah, it's a clear, it's it's clearly illegal. It's clearly illegal to designate somebody as a, uh, and that's why those whistleblowers are out there as a terrorist when they're not. So that's why we're saying. Immunity doesn't apply here, and 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 they saying, well, it it wasn't me, it wasn't me, you know, who personally put the plaintiffs there. But number one, the individual capacity plaintiffs knew. We sent on December twenty first, uh, targeted judges sent a letter saying cease and desist, stop this illegal practice, and they disregarded it. That's why. It doesn't matter if, if it was the def any of these defendants that nominated the 18 plaintiffs. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they choose to maintain them in the list, regardless of the fact that they know they're not terrorists. So they don't want to correct the mistakes that other did before them. And that makes them that makes them liable. And also because of all the evidence and testimonies we've been hearing, how there is a um and a financial incentive to illegally place people that shouldn't be on this list. So for many reasons, they, in their individual capacity, they chose, it is our position that they chose to violate the law and therefore the qualified immunity doesn't apply. Does that make sense? It certainly does, Anna, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I, I, I'll have the last question, uh, and then I will let you. Uh, uh, then uh, we'll talk our, to our special guest. The process, the process of how innocent people, innocent civilians, innocent citizens end up on the terrorist watch list has been addressed in our legal case several times by both plaintiffs and defendants and various testimonies and government documents. And every time it was a version that contradicts other version. So to end this uncertainty, perhaps it would be in the best interest of the FBI director, Christopher Ray to testify and end this conundrum once and for all. Because if anybody knows what the actual process is that, that, that uh, uh, 
Director Ray would know that. Uh, Anna, do you think there's any chance Mr. Ray might want to set the record straight before we set him straight? Anna? Um, I think it's in their best interest because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he, you know, a lot of people go into public service because they have a a passion, a, a real desire to serve the country. And he he didn't get to that position without having that that desire. So uh it is a my hope that uh like I said, you know, it's time for atonement and to come to come clean. Because like you said, for example, we have first we have the former Terrorist Screening Center Deputy Director Timothy Gross saying the following. Oh yeah, there's some people on that list uh, that don't meet the terrorist criteria. And that's why when they travel, they don't uh, face additional screening, like you know the, uh, the known as suspected terrorist. Then you have an audit report by the United States Department of Justice saying that those extra people which are the hand and code three and four constitute 97% of the list. And the actual known and suspected terrorists are only 0.29% of the list. Then you have an audit report 08-16 by the Inspector General of the United States Department of Justice saying, oh, by the way, number one, there's a lot of non-investigative subjects that should have not been in that list and should be removed from that list. And the FBI is dragging its feet, removing them from the list. And number two, the FBI field officers are sending nominations to the FBI and they don't even comply with their own regulations. That doesn't entail immigration status, like Mr. Gross say. So you have all those versions and then you have the new version of a whistleblower saying that agents are being financially incentivized to put people on the list. So yeah, all of these lists, none, all of these, um, um, all, all of these versions they don't, they're not the same. It's like, you know, in, in Sesame Street, one of these is not as the same as the others, but they all tend to prove that there is a huge number of people that are innocent, that are not related to terrorism, that shouldn't be on that list. And you have to ask yourself, why are they on the list? And yeah, he should, he should, I, I certainly hope that, uh, you know, the, the Christian and the correct and the, and the, a public service thing to do is to, to come clean and, and do Louis Free, director Louis Free, uh, I think it was in the year 2003, I don't, I, I'm not sure of the year, he went before Congress and he recognized that with Pro they did a illegal and he said and probably criminal activity the fbi and he apologized for it supposedly but the truth is that um he recognized the illegality with which the cointel pro program operated that i think it was less than three percent of their activity was legitimate the rest was illegal and 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 he can uh, you know director ray could follow the steps of of um of a former director free and come clean and, and admit to, to this outrage. Thank you, Anna. Um, before we proceed uh, with our special guest, I have a special message from the founder of Targeted Justice, Richard Lighthouse. 
it appears that there is a uh, an, um, an interference in the electronic payments that you, when you donate to our cause, to our legal case, and to targeted justice, it the, there has been a significant drop in regular donations, donations that you scheduled or donations that you are trying to schedule. And this interference is obviously intentional. Uh, it's planned. It is something that we have to deal with. Uh, and the message is if you're trying to set up donation through pay Patreon or Cornerstone and it's not going through, please don't give up because we need your help and just try it again uh we don't want you to donate more we want you to donate exactly as much as you want just please understand that the electronic interference is real and we feel it and we know it and the numbers show it thank you for for listening to this message and now to our special guest uh, Derek, I already introduced you as the founder of uh, Pax International, uh, but I will tell, I will let you um, to give us the um, detailed bio and uh, please take it away, Derek. Okay, uh, thank you, Len, for the invitation and for being here this morning. Uh, appreciate uh, being here with you and Anna and listening to uh, all the details of the lawsuit. Uh, it's been, uh, it's truly inspiring. And, uh, you know, we do support, we at PAC support the lawsuit and we wish uh, all of you the best in this effort, this major important effort. Uh, to introduce myself, I'm Derek Robinson. I'm president of PAX International. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I went to college at Ohio Wesleyan University in Delaware, Ohio, uh, where I majored in speech and theater. And after college, I'm, I'm talking to a friend, I decided uh, he was a veteran and uh, I decided that uh, it would be interesting and fun to join the Navy uh, for the adventure. So I joined the Navy in 1975. Um, and for the first, first six years of my enlistment, uh, it was exciting, it was adventurous. Um, I saw many countries, went to Europe, the Middle East, uh, and it was interesting, uh, you know, meeting people in all these various cultures and so forth and interacting with them. Um, and then around the last year of my enlistment, it, when I began to get targeted and the organized stalking uh, started, uh, which uh, continues to this day, that was around 1982 uh, or 1983. So we're about 40 years into my targeting. So um, I've been targeting with the organized stalking initially uh, later, um, around the mid '80s, uh, I started receiving the um, the V2K and um, the uh, the thought surveillance and so forth, which uh, which interfered with a lot of my um, uh, uh, as far as getting employment uh, socially. Um, I was. Uh, 
got interrupted uh, and everything I tried to do uh, in terms of um, uh, getting a good job and so forth. So um, for the targeting, I, I did manage to get employment uh, for about uh, 13 years and that helped me to stay afloat. Um, so the targeting was, was really complete uh, obliteration of my um, uh, vocational goals, um, uh, my career goals and so forth. Uh, and as many targeted individuals will tell you, uh, you know, everything is compromised, everything is uh, invaded, and it has really uh, impacted uh, my life in, in many ways, financially, in terms of uh, socially, uh, in every way it's been impacted. Um, I finally signed on to the internet um, in 2003. And I was basically in search of uh, former military personnel who might be filing uh, a lawsuit against the government for uh, intrusion of personal rights and so forth. Um, so I searched for that for several months. Uh, I didn't find uh, such a uh, class action lawsuit. Uh, finally, uh, around the spring of 2004, I typed in mind control and that's when I hit the jackpot. And uh, I found dozens and dozens of uh, pages of sites related to, um, to uh, organized stalking, electronic harassment, um, uh, hundreds of testimonies from target individuals, posts from, uh, from those who have been experiencing very similar scenarios as far as the organized stalking um, and uh, thought surveillance and things of this nature, same protocols and, and everything, um, which was quite, uh, for me, it was, it was, uh, it was like uh, 10 tons of weight had lifted from my shoulder, uh, finding this community and realizing that I was no longer alone. So that was a watershed moment of my life uh, up to that point. And uh, so I began to interact with the community um, in, uh, in chat rooms and so forth. And then finally in the spring of 2004, uh, there was a meeting that was, that was to be held in Houston, Texas organized by a, um, a civil rights preacher. His name was uh, Dr. Um, uh, Ed Gillum, uh, Leroy Gillum, I'm sorry. And um, so I went to that uh, meeting in Houston, which is like the very first uh, gathering of uh, the eyes that I was aware of, where um, we felt that in coming together, we had a chance of somehow becoming free of this targeting situation. So there was a lot of hope um, at that meeting and uh, Dr. Gillum, um, because he was a civil rights leader because of his position in the community, uh, he began to, uh, to interact with congressional leaders and, uh, and go back and forth to Washington DC, meeting with senators and, um, and congressmen and the community uh, really, uh, you know, it gave a lot of hope that 
that once uh, Congress was contacted, once these representatives became aware that this um, covert program was going, uh, was happening, that we would be finally set free. So the reality though, was that that did not happen. Um, we came to realize later how Congress works and uh, that our issues were not really um, on their radar in terms of uh, uh, help coming from them. Uh, we did not have the clout, we did not have the money, we did not have uh, the celebrity, um, all these types of things that Congress looks for in terms of assessing who they will help uh, and so forth. So our issues were very low on the totem pole uh, as far as uh, aid from Congress uh, is concerned. And that's that is still the case today. So um, uh, originally PACS Internationals, uh, well, let me go back to FFCHS is the original organization that started in 2005. Uh, it was initiated by um, by a lady named Sylvia, who was a uh, native-born Israeli Jew. Uh, she was very heavily electronically targeted and uh, she uh, held meetings weekly for about a month or so, but then she began, her targeting really ramped up. So she began to miss meetings. And uh, I was the closest person to her and we were connected by the Hebrew language, which I studied in the military. And uh, we were close friends. And so um, I would take up uh, leading the meetings when she, uh, when she uh, had to, uh, uh, to miss them. And so I carried on from there and uh, we've been going ever since. We started an organization called Freedom from Covert Harassment and Surveillance. And that lasted until about October of 2015 when I ran into some problems there with the board. And so, um, of that organization and started PAX International the following year, uh, 2016. And the community supported uh, my efforts and we just uh, picked up and kept going. So PAX International is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, it was formed to assist and advocate for targeted individuals. And that is those who are targeted with organized stalking and microwave and or directed energy weapons attacks. Um, we have a website uh, where the general public and possible victims can find information about our cause. Uh, PAXNTL.org is our website. And there you can find information as far as what, what uh, you can do if you find yourself in this uh, situation. And, uh, and what you, can do, what, the, what you can do to help the community uh, in terms of advancing our cause in terms of as far as being recognized, uh, this issue being recognized as a social cause that warrants uh, attention, uh, uh, legislation, and uh, the prosecution of those that are committing these horrendous atrocities against our community. So uh, we have conference calls uh, every week on Mondays and Saturdays where community members can interact and exchange information. Um, we provide a contact line 
where community members and those seeking information uh, can uh, reach out and speak to volunteers who may assist them in finding solutions to their particular uh, situation. Uh, we provide a newsletter um, every uh, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, where relevant information about our cause and our community is published. We provide a magazine also, which serves as an outreach vehicle with information about our community and our issues. We have a uh, social media presence on Facebook and, uh, and Twitter. We have um, a television program that we have started, Pax International TV, that is our YouTube channel and it features members of our community and issues related to our cause. Uh, we also help organize local support groups for TIs uh, that live in the same locality for mutual support and activism. We also do outreach to elected officials and, uh, and the media about our issues uh, to promote awareness uh, of our cause and to create solutions for those who are victims of covert harassment. Um, I would say our most important uh, liaison was with the United Nations a couple of years ago uh, when uh, Professor Nils Meltzer was the rapporteur uh, on torture. And uh, a couple of our members actually um, uh, gained entrance to uh, one of the United Nations meetings, was able to connect with Professor Meltzer and share with him our situation. Um, the, uh, the stalking, the harassment, the torture, and so forth. And he immediately uh, pledged his support and, uh, and help for our cause. And uh, at that time, he pledged that within two to four years that this issue will be wiped from the planet. So um, he, uh, he stayed with the United Nations for about a year or so afterwards. Uh, and then he resigned uh, due to the lack of support that he felt he was getting from the UN. So uh, we've also reached out to his predecessor um, and we have not, uh, we not heard back from her at this time. So, um, but in the meantime, uh, we did submit information to his office about our cause about our issues and uh, that information and our letter is, uh, is still posted uh, at, uh, at a UN website. So, uh, and we still get calls and emails from people who have seen this letter and are reaching out for assistance. So, um, so that letter uh, along with other uh, organizations in our community, their information is also posted at the UN website. So that was um, a kind of a watershed moment for our cause to have reached those, those heights of recognition from the United Nations. Uh, one of the things we would like to do also at PACS, uh, which is kind of brought to my attention recently, is becoming a United Nations non-governmental organization. Uh, so we're looking into starting that project and fusing with the United Nations 
which would give us an international platform in which to present our issues. So uh, we're looking forward to, to that eventuality. Um, there's a process that is involved, uh, lots of details and so forth. So we're working with Liliana uh, DeLuca Connor on this project. And Liliana, as many of you realize, uh, worked for the United Nations for 25 years. So she would be invaluable in terms of um, facilitate, facilitating this process. So uh, we look forward to working with Liliana and, uh, and joining with the United Nations um, uh, in, that, uh, in that venture. So, um, so that should, uh, we're, we're hoping that that would increase visibility to this issue and, uh, and magnify our voice you know, because we need not only a national, but an international voice uh, for this to this cause to be recognized internationally uh, so that the eyes around the globe would also, you know, could also be freed uh, and recognized for uh, the atrocities that are happening and freed from this uh, covert harassment. So uh, governments around uh, the globe are also victimizing uh, their citizens in similar ways. So um, I believe all this started with the United States and this, this uh, technology has been marketed to other countries. Uh, it's, uh, it's really an easy sell uh, to governments uh, if they would like to control their populations. So uh, they were readily, uh, this, this uh, technology was readily received uh, my opinion, though, uh, by governments worldwide, and uh, they have utilized these same harassment techniques on our own people. So we're forming um, uh, liaisons and coalitions internationally uh, to address this issue. Uh, ICATOR uh, is one of those, and I'm vice president of that organization. Uh, ICATOR stands for the International uh, coalition against ele electronic torture and the robotization of living beings. And that is headquartered in Brussels, Belgium. So, um, and we're, we're, we're making liaisons with, uh, with other, other uh, international organizations of targeted individuals uh, regularly. Uh, ICATOR has also um, uh, partnered with, uh, with ANA uh, and uh, the ICATOR attorney in, um, in legal uh, ways so that uh, both lawsuits, ICATOR has a lawsuit that it is uh, planning to launch um, and uh, hopefully in coordination with Anna's lawsuit, this could um, increase availability, it, it could increase importance uh, with this uh, partnership. So. The more liaisons that we can make, the better off that we all are because um, the perpetrators are internationally, nationally and internationally um, uh, linked, uh, you know, in, in intricate ways. So we need to do similar and to, uh, to work effectively with each other uh, in order for our issues to be taken seriously in order to be our issues to be recognized. And that's really a very important uh, goal for our community is to become recognized 
uh, these atrocities to become recognized for what they are. These are human rights atrocities. Uh, these are war, uh, war crimes against humanity. And so um, I believe at some point uh, we will be recognized for uh, the victims that we are in this situation. Uh, we are, also are optimistic, somewhat optimistic about Representative Jim Jordan's committee. Uh, his committee is, uh, was formed to, uh, uh, to bring whistleblowers forward that uh, could speak to government uh, uh, surveillance and overreach into people's personal lives and into um, uh, all, all manner of government wrongdoing. So uh, it's a federal whistleblower uh, committee and they encourage and, uh, and seek out those who um, can report uh, violations by the federal government in terms of uh, personal civil rights. And this is basically what we are dealing with. And uh, the members of this committee have pledged to champion those civil rights violations that they see are happening with the federal government. So, um, so that uh, committee is, uh, um, is, a is a possible avenue for assistance. Um, they, um, they have recognized that what we are experiencing is something that could cause mass panic is what uh, we were told from Chief Jones. Uh, Chief Jones is someone who has uh, direct connections to someone, uh, either to Representative Jim, Jim Jordan or someone um, uh, close to him. Uh, he's been able to reach uh, him directly and with the message that they are willing to address our issues and to bring this information and make it public but they wish to do so in a way that would not cause mass panic. So uh, it appears that they um, are aware of the gravity of our situation and what these weapons uh, are capable of uh, doing to a person and also um, to, to a locality. Uh, these weapons have uh, wide influence over people and um, regions. So um, I think they are aware of the capability uh, that these uh, weapons have, and they are concerned about uh, the implications of um, the public becoming, becoming aware of the full capabilities of what the, uh, the uh, intelligence agencies have at their disposal. And at this time, they are operating with no, uh, with no checks or balances whatsoever. Uh, they have no accountability for what they're doing, um, but I believe that that dynamic is changing. And I believe that we will start to see uh, those dynamics change as the year progresses, uh, particularly with this uh, lawsuit that, um, that Targeted Justice has filed um, if that is successful, uh, if it even survives the motion to dismiss, that will be uh, gigantic for our community. 
because it would then bring in um, many other uh, uh, legal uh, challenges that they wish to bring uh, to the government, uh, lots of other cases, uh, other filings that they wish to bring. It would open the doorway uh, to a number of uh, initiatives that they have in mind uh, uh, for, uh, for our issues. So just surviving that motion to dismiss would be major for our community. And if indeed um, that uh, this list is declared unconstitutional, which is a possibility, then that would be huge. That would be, uh, that would be network news uh, worthy. And I think that we would get uh, major network news attention at that point. So, um, so we are excited about uh, the developments that are happening uh, at this time um, uh, legally. Um, I think that we are making tremendous advances and uh, which I think will make a huge difference in our targeting. So I'm optimistic for this year uh, that things are lining up um, in our favor, uh, whether it's this lawsuit or um, uh, Representative Jordan's committee, uh, which promises to, uh, to investigate uh, claims of the whistleblowers. And, uh, and if they do look into government uh, malfeasance, and, they and they're already aware of our situation. And if they decide to investigate and bring forth legislation, which is uh, Congress's job, uh, which would illegalize these covert activities, then that would be, um, uh, that would liberate all of us because we would then have the legal standing. Uh, uh, police would be empowered then to, uh, to act on our behalf they would have the legal underpinning to uh, investigate and apprehend and arrest those who are targeting us. Right now, the police are powerless. There is no legislation that uh, governs this weaponry. So there's not much they can do to help. Um, and I really do not advise people to go to police because they will be placing themselves at risk of being hauled away to the psych ward because the police are not empowered at this time to be of any help to us whatsoever. They can do a lot of harm, but they can't really help us. So um, I'm optimistic that if legislation is enacted, that that would cover us, that would enable police protection and it would, uh, uh, in essence, stop the targeting. Uh, if the uh, perpetrators feel that they are liable in any way, they will stop the targeting. And the only way that that will happen is if they are held legally liable for their actions. So that is something that is a possibility uh, probably in the next uh, few months um, as we look at these uh, committee's actions and with the lawsuit. So we are all optimistic that uh, the tables are finally turning in our favor and we look forward to the coming months um, and um, for our liberation. Thank you, Thank you Derek. Um, your, your story uh, really touched my heart. 40 years of targeting and I'm just a baby target uh, <laughs> compared to you. 
But what uh, the question I have for you, Derek, um, one of the messages that the targeted justice, Anna, and all the plaintiffs in the case have sent to our community is the message of unity. I think we have something tangible here. I feel that we are on the precipice of something historic that will change our country forever, not just our community, our country. I think we have a real chance to bring targeting program to the forefront of the public conversation that we desperately need. So I agree totally with you. So would you support the message of unity? And do you have any concerns that could make you hesitant, Derek? Well, no, I don't have uh, concerns uh, about unity. I think that that would be, um, you know, if we can unify, I think that will that'll be a plus for everyone. If we can combine efforts uh, for uh, this issue, uh, we're going to need everybody. What everybody brings to the table is important. Uh, you, uh, you guys bringing uh, a lawsuit and pursuing uh, the perpetrators legally, um, it's uh, miraculous uh, what, you guys, what you guys have been able to put together. Uh, Anna being uh, uh, an attorney, and not only an attorney, but targeted individual, which means that she has a stake in this lawsuit. Uh, if we were to hire someone that's an attorney that wasn't targeted, they will be putting uh, themselves at risk, whether they knew it or not. And um, the attorneys that we have dealt with in the past have suffered as a result of uh, connecting with our community and trying to help us. So um, they really didn't realize what they were getting into. And uh, when we had our, our attorney back in 2008, um, he had his hospitalizations uh, to show for uh, his trying to help. So it's a, it's a risk for an attorney, for a law firm to take on a cause. But in your case, Anna is already targeted. So um, her risk is, it might be heightened targeting in her case, but uh, she is uh, uh, completely aware of uh, the risks and um, whatever success that we achieve will be worth it for her because it will be uh, not only our freedom, but hers as well. So it's a win-win situation. Thank you, Derek. Um, I think it's been a really great show. Uh, we heard your story, Derek, heard all your efforts, international and domestic, we heard from Anna with a legal update, uh, whom I bombarded with uh, my silly, sometimes silly questions. But uh, I think we all deserve uh, a moment of levity. So with that, Anna, please, your final words. And tell us what stood out to you uh, the most today, Anna. Well, I, 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 unity, basically unity, because I think it's, a, it's thank you. Thank you, Derek for being here and for um, the patients trying to get on because we had these technical issues and persevering. That's what targeted individuals are about, perseverance. Uh, regardless of what they've done to us, we continue going like the honey badger and we continue 
fighting for life and cherishing the great you know moments in life and i think that uh, you know i i have been talking to richard about this and i repeat it all the time that when we do get to be free we're going to cherish every minute and treasure it so much more than we did before uh this targeting because we're going to we're going to truly savor the flavor of freedom. And I, I, as to the attorneys, I, I want, uh, I want to following on what uh, Derek mentioned that it's true, you know, people that help targeted individuals sometimes get, you know, illnesses and stuff. But I believe that once we uh, prevail in this lawsuit, what's going to happen is that a, the, the program will be declared illegal and then attorneys will chase, will ambulance chase TIs because their causes of action will be such humongous sources uh, of, of uh, income, not just for targeted individuals, but also for attorneys. And I, it is my intent and I repeat it and I say it, that I will train attorneys in this language that, you know, and I will put out there all our documents. We will put templates of the lawsuits so that every targeted individual across the nation gets to have their day in court. And, and, and I mean it from the very bottom of my heart that justice will be done. So um, it is the unity of this targeted community uh, through, you know, PACs and targeted justice and ICATOR. It is this, uh, and, and Roy, our, our, my dear friend, Roy Ecops, it is the unity of this community that makes an invincible front. We, w together, we cannot be defeated. And that's why, that's what I, I say should be the theme for today. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Um, that's, uh, that's a great suggestion. Uh, Derek, uh, any final words from you? And please tell us what stood out to you today the most. Uh, well, I think uh, in agreement with what Anna just said, I think the importance of today uh, is the theme of unity, that you know all these elements, uh, community elements are coming together, uh, ICATOR, uh, Targeted Justice, and PACS, uh, unifying uh, for this cause, and you know everyone brings their own uh, uh, talents and abilities uh, to the table, and it it, it uh, and everything works uh, in unity uh, as one. And uh, you know, you guys bring the lawsuits, uh, Ikatora bringing the international community uh, into focus, and. Uh, and as far as PACS is concerned, lots of community support. So everyone brings uh, a certain, um, you know, their own, uh, uh, what everyone brings something to the table that's unique to them. And it's what makes our community work. So uh, I appreciate being here and connecting uh, Len with you and Anna. And uh, I think it was an important liaison today. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Well, I think we have a consensus. I also agree that the most important message uh, of today's show was a message of unity. So if we can show unity and support within our community, 
then we can ask for unity and support within the American community for our cause as a whole. Regardless of our difference, we all agree that our fundamental constitutional rights cannot be taken away by the government because the government never gave it to us. A king never gave it to us. We gave it to ourselves. And this is the message that we all can unite under. This is the message I want you to remember from today's show. So I'm calling today's show the message of unity. See you next Sunday. Rain or shine.